natural wine has a very specific farming and fermentation protocol that is globally understood for what it means for natural wine, because it's better for you, better for the planet. And there's a big movement of people who care about that, like us. Resetters, Dr. Mindy here, and I am on a mission to teach you just how powerful your body was built to be. This podcast is about giving you the power back and helping you believe in yourself again. Let's jump in. On this episode of the Resetter Podcast, I bring you Todd White. Now, there is so much to unpack on this conversation. So I want to highlight a few things and I want, as you're listening, I want to make sure that you don't miss some of the real life gems that Todd gives in this conversation. So Todd is the founder of Dry Farm Wines. So of course, we're going to talk about wine and natural wine, but there's a bigger lesson for us all in this discussion. And that is the art of living from a place where we are connected as community, where we are respecting nature, where we are looking at the value of soil, and we are highlighting the importance of something as simple as the pleasure a glass of wine could give you to enhance conversation over the dinner table, to create deeper connections with people as we are in community around food, around wine, around family. There is so much here that I want to make sure if you are listening and want to have a better understanding of wine, this is a great conversation. We're going to talk about natural wines, biodynamic wines, all the things that you need to know to create to drink a healthy wine. But as you're learning that, I want you to hear from him the power of living a life in which we take care of each other, we take care of our soil, we honor what nature has given us, and we make time for pleasure and connection in order to not only feel good today, but to extend our longevity. There is such a richness in this conversation, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. And as always, I hope it moves your health and life forward and gives you a new perspective in which to look at this beautiful planet we're living on, to look at the power of well-grown food, to look at how important something as simple as drinking a dry farm wine that can make you feel and help you connect to others. I want to elevate the conversation on lifestyle, and this one absolutely does it. Enjoy. Hey, Resetters, as we step into the new year, I am so thrilled to invite you on an extremely transformative journey with me in my Reset Academy. So check this out. If you're ready to kickstart your fasting and health journey, which I know so many of you have reached out to us and asked how you customize a fasting lifestyle for you, my Reset Academy is the absolute best place to be. So here's what you get in the Academy. And I like to think of it in terms of a complete picture. So imagine being surrounded by people who understand your journey, who are passionate for fasting, who want to lift you up and will support you every step of the way. My Academy is not just me, my team, but it is an incredible group 
of people that are all dedicated to building fasting lifestyles and supporting each other in it. This is why I created the Reset Academy. So when you join, you gain access to all the exclusive calls where my team and I share the latest insights, we answer your burning questions, and we guide you towards your health goals. That's not it. We didn't stop there. By becoming a member, you're not just investing in a membership, but you're investing in yourself. I am such a fan of setting you up to win this year. And my academy is the best place I know to do that. I want to keep you focused. I want you to customize this for you. And I want you to succeed at your health goals this year. End of story. So if you're ready to unlock your fullest potential and embrace a fasting lifestyle, join me. If it feels good, join me. And let's make this year an incredible year for us all. So all you got to do is go visit drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy to become a member. I can't wait to welcome you. I can't wait to see you on the Zoom calls. I can't wait to be in community with you. And most importantly, let's get your health goals handled and let's do this together. It's so much better together. Together. So that's drmindypels.com slash Reset Academy. Excited to see you there. So have you, overall, you've been good? Terrific. I was just listening to David Sinclair's new podcast Mm-mm. Uh, called uh, Lifespan. His separate up, uh, second episode, he's a friend, but the podcast was recommended to me. It's just a refresher. You know, the very first thing he said when asked, okay, what is the number one thing that we can do to extend longevity and health span? Eat less often. Woo! Yes. <laughs> so I was like, of course. Yes. You know, I've been eating once a day for five years and do regular it's so standard true. water fast, but it's like, it's just like, it's just so simple. This message. So, so simple. It's so simple and it's free. It costs yes. less actually. Yes. It's yes. free and it costs less. Yes. Oh thank, thank you for seeing that because that's been my message is like, it doesn't cost money. It doesn't take time. So everybody can do it. We just have to teach people how to start skipping you know, meals. Peter Atia, <clears throat> Peter Atia calls it the most powerful drug we have. Mm. We just don't understand how to dose it. Um, Ooh, I love that. And so then that comes an act of self self experimentation, you know, because right. we just don't know how to dose it really. Oh my god! I mean, you've got so the Cahill study. You've got other. You know, you've you've got some data, but not a lot yeah. on how to dose it. Yeah. Well, I can, I can tell you that, uh, in December, uh, I have a book called fast, like a girl it's coming out. Hey, House bought the book and it's going to be six different length fast teaching women how to dose these different length fast to their hormones, to her. Hormones. One thing I'd like to get a cl- more clear picture on is the, 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 biological, neurological, and hormonal response to the duration of fast, right? Yep. Um, just a little bit better data on that. So the, because having experimented with a whole bunch of different fasting protocols, some are easier than others. Yes, they are. Right. And then for multi-day fast, I feel like personally, I get most of the benefit in a three-day fast. Uh, like no doubt. Yeah. Beyond that, there's benefit. It just feels declined. Yeah. Yeah. It feels yeah. like the, the kind of the pulling out the, like 
that like the extraction yeah. is happening in the first three days. I honestly think the only reason to continue past three days is because you've now in created stem cells. So if you go four days, five days, it's like every moment is a stem cell surge. So I've used five days to heal an Achilles tendon injury. And mm. on the, on the third day, I didn't feel any change, but by the fifth day, the pain was gone. And then once I broke the fast, literally the pain never came back. So there are metrics like that. And it's all based off stem cells after three days. That's really, that's really all we're going for. That, so. and you know, there's some emotional satisfaction and kind of carrying it out and achieving a goal and, yeah. um, yeah. and, and weight loss, if you want to accelerate that. If yeah. that's a goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but sure. There's yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah. All right. So Cool. So let me tell you what I, I think our audience would love to hear a little bit more um, there. I don't know if you know this, but there's actually a lot of discussion amongst women hormone experts right now that women shouldn't be drinking alcohol at all, that it, when you are drinking alcohol, you, um, the liver is not breaking down estrogen. So they have been specifically attacking clean wines. And one thing that has my brain trying to figure out is when you look at culturally, the difference between like America and Europe, you know, in America, we tend to be a little more like Puritan about how we approach things like alcohol. Whereas in Europe, you got women drinking bottles of wine all day long and they're not having to think about the hormonal consequence. So I really want to kind of go down a path of like, what are the cultural differences around wine that you see? People have to remember, and we'll talk about this too. Alcohol is a dangerous neurotoxin. Let's be clear. Okay. Very clear. And my life might even be improved if I didn't drink, but that's not the issue because I like to drink wine and I'm going to drink and I find a pleasure center in it. And living without pleasure is not joyful. So yeah. forget about it. Yes, I know it's toxic. Now let's talk about how to dose that toxin. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Okay. This is going to be great. Uh, again, uh, and uh, let's just jump right into it. I, um, I, I, I mean, we've already had enough right. material here to do two hours. <laughs> I love talking about wine, by the way. And I well, want to, who doesn't? Right, well, I want to tell you, and this is why I want to start this conversation here, um, that whenever I talk about wine, I always say I love talking about wine because after listening to you for so many years, after being a, a huge advocate of dry farm wines, I would say that's 99.9% .9 of what we drink in our house. If we're, sure. for, if we're forced to drink something else, we will. But um people are really misguided on the toxic load of wine. And whenever I say I love talking about wine, I inevitably get somebody who sends us a message and says, I'm concerned you're an alcoholic because if you <laughs> love talking about uh, maybe, wine <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, that's, that's, I'm really not trying to assess that. What I'm going to assess is that I'm going to drink. I like wine. And um, I'm no worse for the wear for it, 61, right? So it's, um, I believe eating less has a whole lot more importance than dosing alcohol correctly. Yeah, yeah. You it, know, so, I mean, it's amen. just a lot to talk about. Let's get started. Okay, so let's start with culture. <laughs> I would say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, in America, we tend to be a little more um, 
no alcohol, tons of this alcohol. This comes from our puritanical roots. Yes. I mean, this is right back to the church, by the yes. way, who also, you know, religion and wine have been paired together for centuries. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, when do you want to get started? Yeah. We're, <laughs> I mean, is there an intro we're here gonna, or do you, do you have a no, question? Oh Are we God, kicking no, off? Or? No, no, Todd, this is how I roll. We just go into the conversation. Like all right. You. We'll just add, all right. We look like three, two, <laughs> okay. one. There we go. Three, two, one. Thank you, Todd White, for joining me on the Resetter podcast. And I uh, know uh, this is so much fun since we already just had a podcast before we even started recording. <laughs> Talking about all the things we could talk about. And then we started talking about them. So, but here we are. We don't don't even have wine in our hands. It's like. Well, uh, it's too early for me. I don't drink during the daytime and I don't recommend that other people do it either. Yeah. So um, it's a nighttime gift for me. Beautiful. But, um, and I'll tell you one of the reasons, and there's so many things to talk about is that, you know, is that um, anytime we take in an exogenous substance or energy energy source such as alcohol i mean it's it's going to stop fat burning right it's going to the body's going to turn its attention to expelling what we'll talk about this toxin right yep and so and i want to spend my days fasted i only eat at night well done and i don't want to i I don't want to interrupt that ketogenic state by introducing anything including alcohol which will stop my fat burning. And so, you know, that's the reason I only drink in the evening. I, unless I'm on an extended water fast, I drink every night. Um, and, but it's not a question of if I drink, it's what I drink and how much, right? And that's, wow. that's what we can talk about. But, you know, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, I think is really interesting is this cultural difference between say Europe, which is sort of the birthplace of wine as we know it today, meaning, well, you know, wine's 9,000 years old and it came from Macedonia and actually part of Asia. And I mean, but as we know, modern wine, modern wine, meaning the last few thousand years, right. Let's call it the last 3000 years. That center has been in Europe and Europeans have been making wine for 3000 years and consuming wine on the regular. Now, we talked about this and you asked me, what did I, I spent a lot of time in Europe because as you know, we do not drink or sell domestic wine because there's no domestic wines that meet our certified criteria for health and purity. <clears throat> and so we only drink and sell wines from a few places all across Europe, South America and South Africa. And, and we'll talk about what a natural wine means, but this cultural thing about you know, how Europeans view a lot of things, including right. marriage, Yeah. you know, how, how Europeans view many things because they have had thousands of years of social evolution, right? Where we've only been, um, I don't know, 200 and whatever, 50 years here, 240, yeah, a, whatever the number we're is. We're a young country. That's a very, yeah, young we're country. very young. And we got settled by some people who were breaking away from the church, but we're still very grounded to religion. We've, you know, so we took on this sort of overtime, and it seems to have intensified in recent decades, even this sort of puritanical approach to living, where the Europeans are just more soft with how they interpret the pleasure of life. Mm. And you can see this in how they eat. You can see this in how they drink. 
uh, you can see this in how they express themselves in many different ways, including marriage for that matter. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just different yep. because they're softer and more evolved. They don't have as many hardline positions uh, about these social structures. And so they're, they're a bit more laissez-faire, be and let be, right? Right. And, and they also, Europeans, particularly the French and the Spanish and, and especially the Italians, you know, they, they have, in France, they call it chouette the spirit of life. Mm-hmm. And so this thing to enjoy life, I, I talked to Mark Sisson a couple of weeks ago, I moved to Miami Beach this winter, and Mark's 66, maybe, 65, 66. Wow. Uh, looks great. Yeah, I was going to say, he looks yeah. really good for that age. And he said, yeah, I mean, I would, uh, yeah, I'd love to speak, but I'm, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to speak in a way that, you know, people will be surprised. And I was like, oh, really? what is that? And he said, well, you know, look, life, you know, as you age, I've done a lot, you know, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sunsetting. I mean, it's like life is about pleasure. Mm. And some days I have a piece of pie now, right? I'm a keto author. I, fa- I do intermittent faster. I promote these things. I do, but you know what? I, I don't live strictly by those standards. Sometimes I have a piece of pie. I was like, okay, well, sometimes I have a few French fries, Right. Uh, he said, sometimes I drink too much, um, you know, but this is life yeah. and we can't stay so strictly puritanically focused on, you know, the absolutes or life won't be worth living. Yeah. And I think that's more the approach of the Europeans uh, in large part. But look, Europe is I spent a lot of time in Europe in 2019. Oh, yeah. I was in Europe about 200 days. Wow. Before the pandemic, uh, resume my European travel and speaking schedule in May uh, at the um, Human Optimization Conference in, that's based in London. So conferences this, are starting back again. Uh, this May, you're going. They're opening yes. everything, but yeah, yeah, that's awesome. It's already open. I went right. last August. Yeah, uh, I went awesome. to Italy for a month, uh, really just on vacation, but um, and to drink wine, yeah. but. So, you know, this thing, the culture difference is just that the Europeans are just more relaxed about most everything yeah, uh, as it relates to lifestyle, as it relates to how they socialize. Yeah. You know, another <clears throat> great work of Dan Butner and others who've studied longevity and cultures is that, you know, one of the single most important things, in addition to most of these cultures drink wine daily, but um, natural wine, you know, wine they make themselves, not these factory additive products that you see in the grocery store and wine stores, wines like we drink and sell. So this, um, you know, is the sense of community. So this culture that Europeans have in places like where these, uh, centurions and, and super centurions, super centurions, anybody who's over 105, Centurions 1 to 105, 105 and plus a super centurion. So where they studied these, you know, it's about community. Yeah. It's about people loving each other yep. and being kind and, and gathering daily for, you know, rituals of socialization. 
Yeah. Um, so really another important aspect. But let me stop the clock here and say one thing that surprises everyone to hear me say. Alcohol is a very dangerous neurotoxin. It ruins millions of lives a year. Some people shouldn't drink at all. That being said, maybe even, I don't know, maybe even my life could be enhanced if I didn't drink. But all I drink is wine. I drink low alcohol, natural wines. I only drink at night. I only drink with food. I have a whole bunch of wine rules. I only drink lower alcohol, natural wines. That's it. I happen to like wine, and I happen to like alcohol in fairly moderate doses. And with the glorious exception, sometimes as an occupational hazard, I'm overserved. <laughs> yes. But, but and this has its place in time as well. But on the regular, I'm not interested in that because yeah. I live a mindful, peaceful life. I meditate in the morning. I work out every morning. I don't, I don't want to sacrifice my morning for the pleasure of my night. Yeah, agree. And we think a lot about that. And yeah. so yeah. is there a lot of debate if you do a PubMed search on, you know, drinking versus non-drinking, women drinking, not drinking, hormonal changes, not drinking. You can find published articles, peer-reviewed on both sides of whether it's beneficial or harmful. Yeah. Right? Well, I'll tell you what's interesting on that note is that, I absolutely agree. I mean, you go to PubMed, you can find anything that will will back up your opinion on anything. <laughs> so I, just because it's a science-based site doesn't mean that it's the most accurate information for your lifestyle. And what I would say with the pleasure piece and what I love what you're saying, and you actually taught me this years ago when I first started to learn about dry farm wines, is that when I have a glass of dry farm or of a natural wine or whatever we're going to call this. So you, we're going to unpack the name here in a moment because I call it dry farm. Um, so we'll unpack that name. But my when my cortisol goes down, my blood sugar goes down. And I can actually see it on my CGM after a glass of wine, sitting at a meal, having a meal with a glass of wine on our back deck with my husband and my blood sugar goes down. To me, that is pleasure in blood sugar action. And I think to your point, we have lost sight of the art of enjoying something like wine in moderation and using it as a enhancing relationships and community and getting your body to just calm down. Do you feel like that's the wrong approach? Well, people believe I'm here trying to sell wine, which I'm not really, but to educate people. So yes, of course, I believe that's the business I'm in. Not only that, it's the life that I live. And so I think life should be fun. I'm a hedonist. I like pleasure. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yep. Puritanical values, you know, shun hedonism or the, the, the act of having a pleasurable life. I just don't agree with that. Yep. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, we're, 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 we're programmed to serve, right? I mean, I think the greatest and most noble act of being a human is to serve others. And second to that is, is to enjoy your very, very short time on this planet, right? Because mm -hmm. it's a really, really short time when you look at the two and a half billion years that the earth has been developing itself and, you know, the 
couple of million million years we've been walking around on two feet and it's like and just looking back over a few years of history you just know that the time any one person spends here is super super short yeah so true. and of course the older you get the more you appreciate that yep as i always say youth is wasted on the young right yes. so <clears throat> so you know the act of having pleasure first of all i firmly believe the act of service is our most noble calling. But once we get that out of the way, which you're doing and I'm doing, and, um, and we feel purpose, a purpose-driven life, then, then you know, we should enjoy our existence and find ways to increase our pleasure and the pleasure of those around us. Yeah. And for me, drinking wine, We'll talk about the type of wine in a moment, what natural wine is and what it means to be a dry farm certified wine. But this, you know, this act of living with pleasure is shunned by some, right, as yeah. as indulgent. Yes. I just don't sign on to that camp. Yeah. And I think life should be more fun, yes. purpose driven with fun. Yes. And so, you know, might my life be enhanced if I didn't drink at all? I don't know. That's not going to happen, right? Because I like wine and wine is doing nothing as far as I can tell to interrupt my health span and maybe increasing it. Yep. And so, you know, the thing that, as we talked about earlier, and David Sinclair starts his lifespan podcast with this, the single number one thing that's going to impact your life the most in longevity and health span is eating less, less often. Yes. Amen. Right? So, and, and if you drink too much, that's clearly a problem, right? And so Agreed. in that case, you need to drink less, less often, yes. right? Or just stop drinking altogether. Yes. And look, it's fair to note, most regular wine drinkers who are drinking conventional poisonous wine feel bad and think they drink too much. Yes. But when they discover a better natural organic, sugar-free, lower alcohol expression of wine that's filled with living bacteria that's friendly to the gut microbiome and wine that hasn't been sterilized with sulfur dioxide, right? To kill everything in it that's beneficial for you, which is why our wines taste different because they're actually alive. You know, they have bacteria and you can taste the spirit and life of the wine. They don't taste like these dead products that you get out of the store. You know, there's a very distinct difference in the two because you've drank a lot of both, I'm sure. Oh, oh, I could you I almost I'm not a sommelier in any way, shape or form, but you could put four different wines and in front of me and I'm pretty sure I can pick your wine out because of exactly what you're talking about. There is a different taste profile to it. I definitely could pick it out the next day and how I feel. Right. For sure. For sure. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. Do you know Tony Horton? He was the creator of P90X, one of the most revolutionary at-home fitness programs. And we created together a new fitness program called Power Sync 60. And it is literally, this program's never been done. It is a revolutionary 60-day program for both men and women. So here's why I want you to join us is that we literally created PowerSync 60 with you in mind. So it doesn't matter if you're a cycling woman, a postmenopausal woman, or a man, 
One of the things I brought to Tony was that when we work out, we have to think about our hormones. And he had never done that in the millions of workouts that he's created in his lifetime. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So I, it, this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you got to do is visit drmindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. So PS60 and then my last name, PELS, P-E-L-Z, to get 20% off. And you get lifetime access to the program. So that's drmindy.org and you use the code PS60PELS to join all of us. I'm actually doing this myself right now. So come join me, my community on this incredible journey. I am so proud to bring this to you. Anyway, let's talk about what natural wine means. And because we, you know, we've talked about this before, but it's a super confusing term for a bunch of different reasons. Yes. Enlighten us. Yeah. So one, it's it's considerably confusing because I tell people I'm in the natural wine business. They're like, oh, really? Well, aren't all wines natural? It's like, no, they're not. And I'm going to tell you why. But so that's the first point of confusion. Number two, in the food industry, in the food industry, the term natural is often used as a fuzzy marketing term to describe products that are not organic, but are suggestively better for you. The same as when you see wine companies, like we have a bunch of copycats because we've been kind of successful and people want to follow us and see if they can get their toe in the water. And, you know, so. So, of course, nobody does what we do, but they'll say things like sustainably farmed. They want to lead you to believe that they're organic, but sustainable farming is not organic. Let's be clear. Sustainable farming means we use chemicals when we want, Mm. or they'll tell you when we need. Well, there's a fuzzy line between want and need and farming. Yeah. Is that the same in food, too? If it's. Yes. Yes. But they use the. But in food, this term natural is thrown around a lot in the suggestion of better for you food products when in fact it's nebulous and natural means nothing however in wine natural wine has a very specific farming and fermentation protocol that is globally understood for what it means for natural wine okay and more people than ever because the education we've done more people than ever know what natural wine is. When I started selling natural wine and drinking natural wine six years ago, nobody knew what it was. So it is, it has prolificated across many major cities and people who are interested in taste and style and hipsters and taste and, you know, better for you and better for the planet products. They know what natural wine is. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it's better for you, better for the planet. And there's a big movement of people who care about that, like us. Right. So, but natural wine, here's the problem with conventional wines. Before we get in, let let me tell you what's happened to the wine business. The same thing that happened to our food supply. Yes. So basically in the food business, nine or 10 companies control nearly everything that flows through the grocery store. Right. And The same thing has happened in our wine supply. So using cheap money off of Wall Street, 
these big aggregators have come in and consolidated what they call roll up the industry, right? So they buy everything up, they gain scale using cheap public money. And because the way alcohol is distributed, this is very important. It's not how we distribute wine, but this is how conventional wine gets in your grocery store. It's called, and this is really important to understand why this poisoning is is exclusively commanding all the shelf space. Is that in the three tier system, as it's known, which is federally mandated and adapted and managed by each state individually, the three tier system was developed, and what are called the tight house rules were developed in the 1940s post-prohibition to keep organized crime from dominating the alcohol business. Now, these laws are no longer needed because organized crime has no chance of dominating any of the alcohol business. But these, these three-tier systems have been kept in place <clears throat> to protect the entrenched interests of the distributors and the wholesalers that exist and are multi-generationally family-owned in each state. So here's how it works. I'm going to get back to the role of the industry and how this fits into all this in a moment. But just to give you education about why this wine is in your store and you don't have other options. You don't have natural wine options when you go in the grocery store. They're not there. At any, any grocery store? No, zero. So now that being said, if you live in New York City, if you live in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Chicago, um, if you live in a major progressive market, you will have a scattering, a very small scattering of natural wine retailers. Now, <clears throat> these wines are not dry farm wine certified. We'll get into what the difference, but they are natural wines. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to drink wine, we believe you should drink a lower alcohol natural wine. And if you live in major markets, it is possible to go in and find through a Google search, you can find natural wine retailers in New York. Yeah. Now, let me get back to the three-tier system, why you can't get better-for-you beverages in the grocery store. Here's how three-tier works. The importer or the wine producer must, is required by law to sell to a distributor. These distributors are typically very small in numbers. They control most, a handful of them control all the activity in your state. So you must, in order, by law, in order to get licensed and sell wine at the store, at retail, you must sell to this distributor. This distributor sells to a wholesaler. The wholesaler in turns to a retailer, and the retailer sells to the consumer. But let's stop back, start back at the top of the food chain with the distributor, because these are the people who control what comes into your state and gets on your grocery shelf. Now, we go back to the roll-up of the industry. So fueled because this is all about money and greed and power. Mm, yeah. About why you don't have better for you products. So you can just walk in your store and buy. Yeah. There's no money in it is the problem. So here are these, these, these big consolidators, these huge wine conglomerates, they've rolled up the industry, went and bought up all the players, right? 52% of all the wines you see in, in American retail are made by just three giant companies. And the top 30 wine companies in the United States make over 70% of U.S. wines. They don't want you to know that. Hmm. So they have behind thousands of brands and labels. 
whoops, there's something else they hide behind. There's 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. And they don't have to disclose those because through their lobby efforts, wine industry spent millions of dollars of lobby money to keep contents labeling and nutritional information off of wine bottles. This is corruption 101. Uh, yeah. So here's how the problem with the distributor three-tier network is that see the consolidators, these three companies, or these top 30 or 50 companies, they control most of the supply. So they're cozy with the distributor. So small suppliers can't get in, can't get short store space because these big suppliers have these cozy, convenient relationships with the only people who can get your wine to the store. Hmm. And so it's one, it's one beast feeding the other. It's just like and, and, and it doesn't give small producers an opportunity to compete, hmm. right? And so that, 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 I mean, that's the very simplistic view of, of a large part of the problem about why systematically and fundamentally you can't get better for you wine into your store yeah, is because there's just not enough money in it. Yeah. And so these, um, and also the other problem with it, that's the primary problem. The other problem is that Americans buy brands they know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And these, and these natural wine growers, the ones you drink from us, you never heard of them. No. Not a single one. You've never heard of because none of them have advertising budgets. None of them have store space. None of them have end caps in grocery stores. You haven't heard. None of them have magazine advertisements. None of them have, you know, media because they're too small. A lot of them are blends. And I realize that sometimes I not even I'll, I'll just drink it just to taste it and have the experience of it. And I realize I don't even know what grapes are in this. And then I go to look. And I don't even know. And you never heard of any of the grapes. You don't even know what they are. (laughs) That's right. Which is another, which is another incredible aspect of what we do is that you see natural wines are made from very often. See what Americans know are the top eight Mm. Cabernet, Merlot, Savion Bloch, Chardonnay, uh, Syrah, the, the, the top kind of top eight grapes that that's what's grown in America and what they know and what's sold here because people buy what they know. Mm-hmm. Natural wine farms, which are very often, more often than not, multi-generational family farms. Mm. Love and that. they're dedicated, and also natural wine growers believe in old vines, right? Mm. So uh, conventional winemakers don't because the older a vine gets, while its character of fruit indisputably becomes better, its yield decreases mm. significantly. Mm lower the yield, the less money there's in it. So everything, including like irrigation is about money. Uh, We'll get to irrigation in a moment. But so anyway, this, um, you, this natural wine, you you can't, you just probably you can't get access to it because In in America. Right. Well, even in Europe, it, you you get better access, but still not still in European. The EU is you know also greed driven and you know a place of immense wealth. So this scale and consolidation is not strictly an American issue. Yeah. It's just we do it better than anybody else. Yeah, yeah. We do scale better than anyone. 
Would you say right. that, would you say it's a, sort of the equal to conventional farming versus regenerative farming is, is what I'm hearing. When you're going with a natural wine that has this uh, appreciation of the way the grapes are grown, the history of the vines, what we're looking at is that's like a farmer who just tends to all of the. It's, the, a, it's a great point. What I was about to finish saying on the grape types, the, all the ones that you don't know, because they're ancestral grapes yeah. that are indigenous to the region where these natural farms are. So they're not grown because they're easier. They're not grown because they're more marketable. They're grown because they're ancestral. Oh, I love that. Right. And so now with, with respect to farming, we can cover irrigation under the same conversation. So, and I'm going to talk about industrialized organic farming. Mm, What does that mean? This is really interesting. And I thought of it from a point that you just made. Industrialized organic farming is what I call the organic food section in your vegetable aisle in the grocery store. So let's take it. This is where living soils and the love of a living soil and the love of how a family farm communicates with nature. It's beyond just organic. This is the reason it's super important to support small family farms through your farmer's market or by drinking natural wines, or these are people who are protecting the planet. These are people who are trying to save the planet and need and deserve our support. They don't make a lot of money. Yeah, well, right. I mean, our wines are super affordable and delivered to your door at $25 a bottle. They're all the same price. I mean, it's not trickery, right? right? It's super affordable for a handcrafted product. So nobody's making a lot of money here. So what, what is important is this industrialized organic, as I call it. So, and here's how you know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> when you go to the farmer's market, you will see vegetables there and fruit, but I think particularly vegetables that are so teeming with vibrancy and color and life. You take pictures of it, It's true. right? You get your iPhone out and you take pictures of this cabbage, yep. right? Because the, 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 the nourishing vein structure on it is popping so robustly. And the color is so deep and rich because this is real food grown in a loving environment by a small family farm. Mm. These cabbage or carrots or artichokes or broccoli or, or anything that you see at the farmer's market is teeming with this vitality. It's just so beautiful. Yeah. And lush. I take pictures That's of it. That's not all the, what I do that, that all is, the time. Of course I, you do. I'm like enamored with it. Yep. Of course you do. It's fascinating. You're drawn to it because yeah. it's filled with life. Yep. Well, when you go into the organic section of your grocery store, it doesn't look like that. No, it doesn't. I'll tell you why, because that's what I call industrialized organic. Is it organic? Yes. Is it better for you than, than chemical farming? Yes, for sure. Is it the same as something that came out of living soil that has been nurtured by the love and spirit of this family? No, it's different. Mm. 
And natural wine growing is exactly the same way. You can think of natural wine growing as the farmer's market grapes. Mm, Yeah. And so this is because, you know, when you go to, I have a home in Napa Valley. When you go to Napa, it's, it's a beautiful place. It's a wonderful place to live. It's a wonderful place to visit. But you have tasting rooms that are, you know, multi-million dollar, you know, kind of shrines to architecture. And that's not how it is when you go to a natural wine farm. Ah. You know, there's these fancy tasting rooms. When you go to a natural wine farm, the very first thing, always, the very first thing, and I don't care if it's raining, snowing in the middle of winter in Central Europe where it is cold AF, right? The first thing the farmer wants to do is take you to the vineyard and talk about the soil and pick up the soil when it's wet and cold, run it through your hands, talk about it and stand out there in the driving snow or rain. Most buying trips occur in the winter time to Europe because that's when the farmers are not working. So that's when they have time to sell you wine, right? So almost all buying trips occur between December and April. Interesting. In January and February in Central Europe is super cold. And so, you know, they want to take you. There is no tasting room, almost never. You usually end up tasting either in the cellar. That's after you've been in the vineyard for an hour talking about soil and, and, and vines and you know, and I, I can just tell you, I've suffered through this many times in the cold <laughs> and it, it's always the very first place that they take you. Yeah. And of course they're farmers. So, you know, as cold as mean anything to know. Oh yeah. They got thick skin. You know, some city boy like me and yeah. it's like, it's cold out there. Right. Yeah. So, so the, so then if you do taste, it's at their kitchen table, mm. you know, it, it would be in, in the cellar you know, on a board that's propped up, you know, between two barrels. I mean, literally, there's nothing fancy about it. Yeah. But you can feel the spirit of the farm, right? And so... Vibrant. There's a vibration is what I'm hearing. There is a vibration there because nature has vibration. Nature loves rhythms. And when nature is in rhythm, you can feel its vibration. Woo! Mic drop. That was good. No, it's true. It's true. And that's what you're feeling at the market. What I'm hearing is when you see that beautiful cabbage at your farmer's market, you're attracted to the vibrancy of that, which is what in a natural wine, what I hear is it's not just the care of the soil. It's the family. It's the community that is surrounded around. You can taste it. It's called terroir in France. It's Ah. like it's terroir is a French term used to describe that the wine tastes like the place that it's from, right? And each vineyard is a place. So let's go to irrigation, right? So why do you irrigate? Because it's cheaper and it's more profitable. Why do you farm conventionally with chemicals? Because it's cheaper and more profitable. And so this irrigation has all kinds of problems as it's associated to the health of the vine, the quality of the fruit, the character of the fruit, and the polyphenol content inside Mm. the fruit. Mm. The health compounds inside the fruit are diminished, both in non-organic fruit and in irrigated fruit. It might not surprise you that when you fill a grape berry with water, it dilutes everything inside of it, including its flavor, character, and compounds. Why would you irrigate? Because it's cheaper. It creates a bigger yield. Yield is the size of the cluster. And the cluster weighs more because it's filled with water. 
and you know, and bigger yields from nitrogen from nitrogen that has been used to fertilize it, making so, for a lazy vine. So I don't want to lose the point on the polyphenol. If the the content, the vitamin, mineral, polyphenol, all the nutritional aspects of this grape, the vibration of the community, the richness of the soil, it's all going in your wine. So does that make wine a health food? Look, I have no idea. Neither does anybody else. You know, resveratrol, which is the most widely known and famous polyphenol found in red wines. We can talk about why polyphenols are higher in red wines in a moment. We talk about fermentation. But so I, I'm, not, I'm not here to tell you that, that wine is a health food. Nobody knows. We don't know much about nutritional. We don't know much about nutrition in general because we just don't have controlled group studies. The only way to get real nutritional information over a long period of time is to use it on prisoners, which is mm -hmm. thought to be unethical, mm -hmm. right? And so we don't, have, we don't have quality controlled group studies on any kind of nutrition, including alcohol, including wine, including broccoli. You know, we just don't have it. Yeah. Um, we have, you know, we have... Um, you know, I, I love the proverb when I think about all these things to feel is to understand. Mm. And we have, we, we have data, just not good data, but we do know how we feel. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we do know that you feel much better when you drink a natural wine versus a conventional wine. hundred percent. This is indisputable. Yeah. I don't know anybody who doesn't have that experience. hundred percent. And fortunately, it's enabled us to have a nice family business where we can survive and make a living selling natural wine because the product is indisputably better. Yeah. It tastes better. It makes you feel better. Yeah. Period. End of story. Right. I don't know a single person that doesn't agree with. They might not like it. No, there are cases where someone like, you know, I want a heavier, richer wine. Well, natural wines aren't heavy and rich. Yeah. Because those manipulations that get you to heavy and rich are not what natural wine is. Uh, by the way, uh, no, no, uh, uh, don't take offense to this, but I stopped bringing natural wine to other people and handing the dry farm wines because they don't appreciate it. And they and it's got a more complexity. And if you're used to drinking a, a Napa Zin or Cab, you're going to a dry farm wine is going to taste way different. So it's, I, they're going to say, I don't, it's, it's watery. It's thin. Yes, it's like, well, yes. you're not, because you're not drinking all these additives, that's color right. agents, yep. body stabilizers, sugar, yep. which gives mouthfeel to wine and gives that long finish to wine. That's sugar. Yeah. Right. And glycerol. So it doesn't contain all those things, but those are also the things that are bad for you and make you feel bad. Right. Right. And people will drink it because they get palate adjusted Right. Just the same thing happens. I, this, the same thing happens when they do drink our wines for a week or two. Right. And then they go back to drink this other wine. They're like, whoa. Yep. This is like cough syrup. I didn't know. I, see, we, most of us, we like to believe that we're very adventurous in our, in the way we eat. Oh, you know, I'm adventurous. I'll try anything. The fact of the matter is most of us eat and drink the same thing every day. Yeah. With very little exception. Right. Which destroys we our We go to the same restaurants and we yep. order the same dishes. Yep. That right. Because we're creatures of habit. Yes. And so 
And many of us are challenged to break these habits, even if we know they're bad for us. Yeah. There's an article. I just want to say on that point that that behavior is killing us because if you, of course course it is, if you just look at the, we don't care, right? No, we don't know. Well, we do know. Let me give you an example. Let me give you. Oh, I don't, uh, you give people a little more credit. I think people don't know, but you go ahead. They know, they know. As an article in the Wall Street Journal this weekend, it said we can prevent the number one cause of death that kills three times as many people last year as COVID did worldwide, which is cardiovascular disease. We know how to prevent it. There are three primary ways to prevent it. We know what those are. Smoking, hypertension, and air pollution. This is known science that's pretty widespread. People know that if you eat less, less often, you don't smoke, you spend time in nature, you maintain lower cortisol levels by spending time in nature and not putting yourself in bed. Cardiovascular disease last year killed 35 million people. COVID killed 10 million worldwide. But even though we know, and look, fasting is, for most people, is the single most, like, I mean, forget it. You just try to get them to eat slow carbs and just, you know, be, just be moderate. That's hard enough to tell them that they can't eat. I mean, this is, you know, only the most converted, only the, now, as we discussed earlier, I only eat once a day and I would never return to eating more than once a day. Yeah. I mean, just like. My energy level would just be off. Yeah. I just, I'm not even interested. It's two o'clock in the afternoon in, in, in Florida, and I have zero interest in eating. Yeah. I haven't eaten since last night. Oh, you're just and, getting your ketone high now. You're, you're, right. you're, you're like in the sweet spot. Even when I do eat tonight around six o'clock, it won't be because I'm hungry. Mm. It will be because I want to drink wine. Mm. Right. And yeah. so, and, and if I didn't drink wine, I'd probably eat my only meal about three o'clock in the afternoon. And probably some days I'd just forget to eat. Yeah. yeah I, I eat true. usually not because I'm hungry, because I want to have a glass of wine. Yeah. So because I'm a hedonist, which is the only re- other reason I only eat once a day, because I feel better. Yeah. I, and, yeah. And, and people are like, aren't you hungry? No, I'm not hungry ever. Right. It's like, well, how do you do that? I mean, do you get enough calories? Well, actually. I hope not. I'd actually like to be eating fewer calories. Yes. Right. So, I mean, I mean, we know that calorie restriction is one of the only known effective ways to increase lifespan in organisms. Never been shown in humans, of course, but, mm. you know, in, in worms and yeast and mice and so on and so forth. So, but um, so irrigation, let's go to. Yeah. Uh, so let's, I want to really make it applicable in the time that we have. How, so how does somebody pick a wine when we look at natural, sustainable, <clears throat> biodynamic? How do you, is it even possible to navigate a wine list and figure no. out? No, you no. can't. Okay. It's not even possible for me to navigate it. Interesting. So there's a couple of reasons for that. And I can give you some practical solutions for it. But there's a couple of reasons for it. First of all, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of wines in the world. So you can look at a wine list and unless it's unless it's a brand you know that's been publicized through media, 
you won't have any idea what any of the wines are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I care about lower alcohol. Yeah. So if there's a wine person there, if there's a SOM or, you know, a wine director, I might ask, although it generally gets nowhere, I might ask, do you have any lower alcohol wines? And I consider lower. The demarcation for lower alcohol in the wine world is 12.5%. So do you have a wine that's, they'll never have anything below 12. Do you have a wine that's 12 or 12.5%? Um, they will look at you like you have a third eye. They yep. have no idea the alcohol. Yeah, we do it no all idea. the time. We actually they have them no bring idea. the bottle. We're like, just bring right. the bottle to us and right. let us right. look at it. So here's what I do. Next, you could ask, do you have organic wine? Now, just because wine is organic doesn't mean it's natural, but we're one step closer. Okay. Um, And then the third and the best cheat is to look for colder regions, generally in central France, Beaujolais, Loire Valley. These are cold, central, wet and cold uh, Burgundy. These are... But Burgund- Burgundonian wines have some other issues because of the style of the way the wines are made there. They're typically higher in alcohol. They're highly extracted, and they got a lot of oak in them. So, but Beaujolais, which gets kind of a bad rap because of Nouveau Beaujolais and the way that the region's been industrialized, but but it's a colder, wetter place in France. So if you want to get to lower alcohol, you need to get places where it's colder. What? And that's and, just the way the grapes grow. Well, here's how you get higher alcohol is higher sugar. Right. So the sugar at the time of harvest, the sugar in the berry will determine the, uh, the corresponding alcohol level at the end of fermentation. Mm. The more sugar there is, uh, to ferment, I mean, how you ferment wine is you you have yeast and and juice that's filled with sugar, and the yeast activate whether they're mm-hmm. native yeast, which is natural wine, or commercial yeast, GMO, which is conventional wines. Either way, yeast activates, and it starts to eat sugar as the food source. And so, this is how you ferment wine. The byproduct of this eating of the sugar from the yeast is carbon dioxide and ethyl alcohol. That's how you make wine. The more sugar there is to eat, meaning the higher the sugar content at the time of harvest, also known as bricks in the industry, you can measure it in the field. Okay. This is another problem with irrigation. When you fill a grape berry with water, you have to get the sugar higher. This is not, this is common sense. You have to get sugar higher, the fruit riper to have proper flavoring because the berries fill with water. Fascinating. And so, but either way, the higher the sugar is at the time of harvest will determine the corresponding alcohol at the end of the fermentation. More sugar, the higher the alcohol. The point of a colder colder region is that that grape must, in warmer regions, is optional. In a colder region, that grape must be harvested earlier because the cold weather comes in earlier. Okay. The earlier it's harvested, the lower the sugar is in the grape. And then when you ferment it, the lower the outcome of the alcohol is. Interesting. Okay. The other thing that's interesting, I don't know 
why this phenomenon is true. But even if it's a conventional wine and it's lower in alcohol, it is more likely to be more natural. People who make lower alcohol wines make wine in a more natural way. I don't know what the phenomenon there is, but Mm. the lower alcohol wines, even if they're not, quote, natural, they taste better. They're more natural. Mm -hmm. Even though they may not meet all the qualifications of natural. But the other thing to be aware of, and when you get a dry farm wine, certified wine, so there's no certification for natural wines yet. 2023, France is going to be the first country to certify natural wine. Beautiful. This is a great move. Um, France also says in 24 that they're going to be the first country to put contents labeling on a wine bottle, which is also a great step forward. Amazing. Don't think it'll happen in the U.S., but it's a great step forward. But Dry Farm Wines has a certification process that's over and beyond just natural. And the one thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap up here is that sugar and alcohol are nasty dance partners. Yes. Right? And so... You'll know this to be true, and all of our wines are sugar-free and lab-tested by us. The only way to know if a wine's sugar-free is the lab test. But the reason that you know this nasty partnership between sugar and alcohol, if you have a shot of tequila, well, let's say two, or you drink two margaritas, how you feel from taking just the shot of tequila is going to be very different than how you feel from drinking the margarita. Yes both while drinking it as well as the next day. Sugar and alcohol just don't make good playmates. And so. (laughs) Well said. So, you know, sugar is poisonous in the first place. And Mm -hmm. I'm rabidly Mm anti-sugar. But when it combines with alcohol, the effects and the outcome become disastrous in terms of how you feel and the stress it puts on your body to process it. Yeah. So. Is biodynamic just so, cause that's a, one that gets thrown around. Is that just mean that they used ancient grow, uh, farming strategies that don't require spraying? What does biodynamic mean? Well, so biodynamic is, I, I, I like to um, think of it this way. So biodynamic is not that biodynamic farming was created by a scientist called Rudolf Steiner in 1925. Mm. Yeah. And it was in response to see in the early twenties is when you had the beginning, it accelerated later, but the beginning of both monocultural farming, which is the farming of a single crop mm-hmm. monocultural farming and chemical farming in particular got introduced in the early 1920s. In response to this, there were some, activists and leading thinkers like Rudolf Steiner, who said, whoa, 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 we can't do this. This is going to kill the planet. It's going to lead to, you know, poor, poor farming practices and poor product, poor food product, poor industrial product. So he created uh, biodynamic farming and biodynamic farming. The simplest way to think of it is it's a prescriptive advanced form of organic farming. So all biodynamic farming is always organic. Okay. And biodynamic farming basically involves two tenets. One is um, farming by lunar cycle. Right. So by the moon cycle, by the tide, 
right? So biodynamic farmers believe that the energies from the lunar cycles impact uh, decisions in farming, like when to harvest, okay. as an example, when to um, when to um, uh, prune your grapes or when to manage your canopy. Canopy is the leaf cover over over the fruit, right? Okay. So the canopy is there to protect the fruit from the sun. But you have canopy management throughout the growing season to sometimes give the grapes a little bit more sun, right? And so this is those techniques and styles vary from grower to grower. The second tenant, one is the lunar farming. The second is that they spray what they believe, there's no scientific proof to this, um, what they believe are prescriptions to the vines. And what I mean by prescriptions, that's what they're called. They're, they're called prescriptions or formulas. They, one is like uh, a white quartz that's been ground up into water, mm-hmm. the white quartz rock. Right. Uh, another is manure that has been buried in the ground in a bull's horn at a specific site in the vineyard. And then it sits there for a specific period of time. And then it's harvested from the ground and mixed. And this preparation, as they're called, they're called preparation. Then the preparation is, sp- is sprayed on the grapes, sp- sprayed on the plants. And these prescriptions and preparations are thought to be natural uh, enhancements to, and they may work. There's no evidence that they do or do not work. And biodynamic wines, in my opinion, very often taste better. Hmm. Now, why is that? And here's the way I explain that. Also, not all biodynamic wines are natural. There's a very large wine company in the United States that's biodynamic and sells widely throughout the grocery store system through three tier. But it's not a natural wine. It is biodynamic. There's a biodynamic certification. The biggest one is in Germany called Demeter. So, But here's how I think about biodynamic wines. Anybody who will obsess over their farming practices and over lunar cycles and these preparations Mm. and anyone who obsesses to this degree over a farming practice is just going to grow better fruit, period. Yes. Right. And so, so anybody who's that obsessive and these people are obsessive. Yes. Right. Anybody who obsesses at that level is likely just to make a better wine. Yeah. And they're going to, and their, their vibrancy back to the frequency is going to be going into right. the wine. So when you talk to natural wine growers, they talk about the spirit of nature hmm. growing the natural, you know, the relationship, the spiritual relationship between the plants, the vines communicate to each other. Trees talk to each other. We know this. Yes. This is not speculation. We know that plants talk yeah. and communicate. That mushrooms communicate that, um, you know, we've got this whole infrastructure under the living soil that is billions of organisms. This is another reason that natural wine farmers don't often plow their land because they want to maintain the life of those organisms beneath the surface, which are teeming with billions of tiny organisms. Here's what happens when you plow you turn that soil over and you expose that soil to the sun and you kill these living organisms. Fascinating. 
Yeah. Another reason that when you go to, and you should come to Europe with us sometime. I would love to. Uh, and, and tour these small family farms. And, you know, you very often, most often when you walk into a natural vineyard, grass, wildflowers, um, um, they're growing chest high. They're competing with the vines. This because the natural farmer wants insects, butterflies. They want all that nature attracts. That's how you keep the balance and you don't have to use chemical farming because nature will balance itself out. Yep. Right. And so it often looks like a small forest beneath the vines, right? It's not manicured at all. Yeah. It's, it's not barren at all. It always has vegetation on it because yeah. that's kind of how things grow. It's, if you go into nature, yeah. that's how everything grows. Yep. It doesn't grow in this way that's manicured. Yep. Yeah. It, it just, everything fights against each other. Right. And that's what provides the balance and the, the, the sort of the kind of universal connected source energy that is nature, that is the rhythm of nature. You know, we have, uh, we turned our front yard into a vegetable garden and it always looks beautiful. Like right now it's starting to look great. And then once everything dies, we just let it go right back into the earth and it looks horrible. I mean, my front yard will look horrible for a while, but it, it, then the next year, another wonderful thing grows out of that. And to your point, the complexity of the art of growing anything like that is going to serve your health in a bigger way. So I, I, I think what I want everybody to take away is this you isn't know, just I wine. I, I mean, Todd, Todd is... Somebody's talking to you. Oh, <laughs> something came on my phone. Yeah. And I was like, good gosh, what is that? But, anyway. But, but what I want that what I want to off with is what I hear from you is the intention, the care, the process, the energy that goes into making a natural wine. We can apply that philosophy to food. We can apply that to relationships. We can apply that to our lifestyle. So I don't want people to lose the nuance of your passion around wine, because what I'm also hearing from you is a whole different way to approach life that when you do that, that is longevity. Would you agree? Right. Yes, for sure. Beautiful. For sure. So let me finish up on this. Uh, this is our third season of the Resetter podcast. And so we are asking everyone what their gratitude, daily gratitude practice is. Do you have a daily gratitude practice? I do. Um, I start every morning with um, 28 minutes of concentrated meditation. And just following that, um, I have probably 10 minutes of concentrated gratitude. And just following that, I have about a half hour of journaling and life planning and may also express other gratitude through the, through my writings, but typically it's just following, um, meditation. And then I think the other thing that's really important in a healthy gratitude practice is to be sure and tell other people how grateful you are for them. So true. You know, like my long time friendship with you, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Me it's too. Been, Thank you. You know, it's been great and, and very rewarding. Um, so um, yeah, it's, it's just after my meditation practice, I, it, 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 it's daily. Uh, it's not it's a five or 10 minutes, not that long. Um, try not to belabor it. Yeah. Usually there's, you know, there's oftentimes some 
I'm at the beach. That's a helicopter flying across the doors mm. open. Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, um, I, uh, you know, I'm very often grateful for my health. Mm. It's probably the thing that I am most grateful for because without health there, you know, there's not everything else has kind of come secondary to that. Even your, even your security, uh, just health is just like, I mean, financial security, your, your health is, you know, the person who's unhealthy has only one wish yes. and the person who's in great health has a thousand wishes. And so I'm, I'm very often grateful for my health and, and, and also for the abundance that I have around me, people who love me. These are kind of things that I'm very typical, typically, um, to, uh, today I was grateful for the law of attraction. Actually, I was writing about it. Awesome. Um, grateful that's something else this morning i was grateful to be living my truth mm-hmm. speaking and living my truth this mm-hmm. was something that i was uh grateful for this morning uh grateful to be present and mindful um Great. so anyway well, there you know there's I'm, there's a lot we could go on yeah i was gonna say we could talk about wine but this is why i say like wine is one of my most favorite subjects because it is the door in the way and and i want to really ditto this back to you. Like, I'm grateful for what you've taught me about the art of wine, because really what you've taught me is the art of living through so many conversations. And I feel like the your this discussion on wine, the way you look at wine is the door in to not just a pleasure-filled life, but a healthy lifestyle where you can not only live long, but live with happiness and joy around you all the time. Thank you so much for joining me in today's episode. I love bringing thoughtful discussions about all things health to you. If you enjoyed it, we'd love to know about it. So please leave us a review, share it with your friends, and let me know what your biggest takeaway is.